Hello and welcome back to the LIBF Banking and Finance Podcast. On this episode, we return to our Finance Matters series, hosted by Chief Executive of the London Institute of Banking and Finance, Alex Fraser. Alex talks to Nabil Kahir, Assistant Secretary General of the Commonwealth, about the pandemic, lessons learned, recovery and much more. Enjoy. Hello, my name's Alex Fraser and I'm the Chief Executive of the London Institute of Banking and Finance. And it's my very great pleasure today to welcome Nabil Gahir, who's Assistant Secretary General of the Commonwealth, who's going to talk about the pandemic, how it's affected his role, but also talk about recovery uh, and how he sees uh, the next few years and what lessons can be drawn and what changes that we have noticed during the pandemic, what, what might be permanent um, in years to come. So uh, welcome, Nabil. Thank you so much for spending uh, sparing the time with us today. Uh, I guess for a lot of people, they won't be that familiar with your role. Uh, do you want to talk us a bit about what you do and how it fits into the, the Commonwealth as an institution? Well, thank you very much, Alex, for inviting me. Um, firstly, about the Commonwealth itself. Perhaps people would not know uh, what the Commonwealth is like. Uh, we, we are an association, a voluntary association of independent and equal sovereign states. 54 right now. We had started our journey with eight. Very proud uh, to be a big group now. Uh, eight, 54 countries representing 2.4 billion people from across the world. And there are 90 organizations and networks within the organization. I sit at the Secretariat. Commonwealth Secretariat is based in London. It's like the central nervous system. And we coordinate all the interministerial, intergovernmental processes, such as heads of government meeting, such as ministerial meetings, and also coordination of the entire system. In my role, I assist the Secretary General. Uh, I represent the system at international organizations, and I supervise the areas of strategy and operating systems, as well as sit as Secretary to the Board of Governors. So quite a mouthful, I would say, you know, a number of things, which is all very interesting. So what do you ascribe the success, you know, growing uh, the organization from a relatively small membership to where it is today? What has been the, have you made it work? Well, it's not only me. I think it's all the member states. It's all the people. It's a very unique organization in the international system. And sometimes we don't, we don't even call it an organization. Her Majesty once said that this is an opportunity. It's not an organization. It's like a family. It's like a club. So this is why our main strength is not the intergovernmental part, but 90 or so professional organizations and networks which are there. So parliamentarians, they have Commonwealth Parliamentarian, Parliamentary Association, Commonwealth Local Government Forum, all the mayors, all the doctors, engineers. So people to people links and professional links are very strong. And unlike many other international organizations, we are very, very inexpensive. We don't ask countries to contribute a lot. Uh, and also, uh, we work as an exchange. We are big countries like the United Kingdom, uh, India, Australia, Canada, 
And we have very, very small countries on the face of this earth, such as Tonga, Tuvalu, sit on the same table. So what the United Nations and others aspire for, we do it, we practice it. And I think that has attracted so, so, so many countries to come and join the association. And uh, many people will, of course, be familiar with the workings of the EU uh, and the difficult job that um, you know, people face in trying to get consensus and agreement across um, such a broad range of uh, countries. Is that the same with the Commonwealth or is your governance different? It's a very interesting question. I would love to talk about it. Very, very different, I would say, in one sentence. We are not bureaucratic at all because we are like a family, we are like a network. There are not 86,000 pages of regulations which you have to adhere to. We started with a half-page London Declaration. It's a very interesting aspect of the association where eight countries came together and said, this is what we are going to do together. So the association has evolved over the years and, and it has evolved organically. It has evolved through negotiations, through dialogue, and not having lots and lots of policies and regulations. Our charter was adopted in 2012. It was signed by Her Majesty the Queen as the ceremonial head of the Commonwealth in 2013. Again, a few pages which describe the aspiration of what 54 member states will like to do and how they will like to cooperate and collaborate. So there's this sense of community and camaraderie and solidarity which is there, which binds us together, and of course, the common values. And the Queen is obviously the head of uh, the family. Um, and is it correct to assume that her eldest son would then become the next head of the Commonwealth? Is that how it works? Well, um, Her Majesty has literally nurtured this organization. This organization has been very, very close to her heart. Uh, we promote the democracy and we believe in those principles before we preach them. So the decision was made by heads of government uh, at London heads of government meeting where they decided that they would like uh, Prince Charles to be the next head of the Commonwealth, but this is a position which is not hereditary. So this is more of the decision of heads of government as independent, equal sovereign states that they can decide who will be the next head. And head's role is very ceremonial. Actually, the organization is represented by the Secretary General and the Secretary General is appointed uh, by all heads of government in a consensus manner. Thank you for sharing those insights on what is a fascinating institution. I won't call it organization. Um, so let's talk about um, the role that it's played in the pandemic. Right, sure. Um, the very first thing which we did was um, consulted. You know, a consultation is the lifeblood of our association. So when it all started, um, I recall our offices were closed in March 2020 the Secretary General asked uh, leaders to meet. So the first meeting which took place was the Commonwealth heads of government, actually prime ministers and their representatives. They got together on a virtual platform and discussed the situation. This was very unique before any other international organization could do that. Of course, WHO was working on it, 
but we were very quick on our feet to bring them together and see where they are, what could be done, what are the experiences. And now everything looks like history because this, this went you know, very, very quickly, uh, went by very, very quickly. And uh, they were talking about what is happening, you know, if, if anyone has this tracking apps and who can share, Singapore very quickly put together something and they were willing to share with others. So that's the kind of exchange which took place, followed by a health minister's meeting and a finance minister's meeting and a foreign affairs minister's meeting. So, and then attorney generals, central bank governors. So the beauty of the system is that we came together as a family and started talking to each other of what could be done. You know, how can we learn from each other's experiences? I think again, once again, this is very unique in the international system that you can mobilize you know, people at the political level, at the technical level, the highest technical level that they can come together. And the third meeting that we had was all, all the Commonwealth associations, parliamentarians, the kind of role which they can play, Commonwealth Pharmacists Association. They said, we can give you farbulas, you know, which are easy to manufacture in, in Africa. So we can help you into a Commonwealth Doctors Association. We have a digital health initiative. So all of that was very, very Commonwealth Nurses and, and Midwives Association. So that was mobilized as much as we could do in terms of creating awareness, sharing of experiences, sharing of policies, regulations, what could be done quickly you know, to contain it. Containment was the name at that time, I recall, because I joined most of those meetings. So we, mo we mobilized the entire network. And uh, I guess, you know, you've been thinking for a while about the path out of this and, you know, the, the role that the institution will play in helping the recovery. And particularly, as you said, where you've got very, very small states who form part of the family uh, without the resource and the infrastructure. Um, what thought have you been given, uh, giving sort of helping them particularly plan their way out of this? Yeah, well, uh, we're very lucky to have um, G20 and G7 members within the family. They're very influential, uh, wealthy, rich countries such as, such as the United Kingdom, uh, Australia, Canada, India has been uh, being the pharmacy of the world, although they are suffering, but they have been uh, sharing some of their vaccines uh, with Commonwealth countries. Now, um, the understanding is that the, that the first things first, and that is we have to vaccinate people in the Commonwealth as soon as possible. And I think that's the strategy which UK adopted, which worked very well. And I think that's what now member states are thinking that you know they will emulate that. Now, not every country is that fortunate as the UK in the Commonwealth, because we have 2.4 billion population. And out of 2.4 billion, only 6% has been fully vaccinated. And then 17% is partially vaccinated. And then 80 per 70%, 70 plus percent is you know, totally not vaccinated. So access to vaccines is a big problem. UK has been committing a lot at G7 uh, with the World Bank, with the global system, with WHO, with COVAX facility. And we are encouraging all other member states, especially the big ones in the system, to help us 
So my boss and I, we had several meetings with the WHO Director General, with the COVAX facility, and the big uh, players in the system, they would like to help especially small states. We have 32 small states in the Commonwealth. And the total population of these small states is, you know, which need to be vaccinated is only 20 million, which is a small number. And it'll go a long way because if you vaccinate 32 countries, uh, then you will open up for travel, tourism, fishing, you know, not only you're vaccinating those countries, but you are also helping others. Uh, so there are several tracks on which we are working, but the very first one is uh, getting vaccines and uh, getting people vaccinated as soon as possible. And of course, on the recovery front, there's a lot going on. I'm happy to talk about the details of that one as well. So I'm obviously with the London Institute of Banking and Finance, I'm particularly interested in how you've been harnessing the financial system to support the work that you're doing. Well, we are very lucky that we have finance ministers meeting as well as um, our central bank governors uh, who met to discuss some of these issues. So within the system, we have uh, ComSec fund, which is uh, contributions which are made by all member states, which are mandatory. And then Commonwealth Fund for Technical Cooperation, which is called CFTC. Uh, these are voluntary contributions and normally big countries, rich countries will make more contributions. They have made these contributions to CFTC and countries such as UK, Canada, Australia, India, Singapore, South Africa, Nigeria, they have been making contributions directly also to WHO, to COVAX facility, uh, to the international system, IMF and World Bank. So there are several ways in which we are working on the financing side, and that is through us and through the international system and directly to COVAX facility, where commitments have been made uh, to help other member states. And uh, you talked about the damage that has been done to industries like uh, fishing and agriculture and tourism. Um, you know, are you optimistic that those states will recover? And have you, you know, we've all been giving a lot of thought um, to how we make use of technology and do different things as a result of the pandemic. Um, has that sort of thinking been going on? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, we are working on several fronts. Um, small economies, especially said small island developing countries, have been uh, the worst affected in, the, in all the groups. As you know, many of these countries are already highly indebted. Uh, so we have a system, a debt management system, which is called Meridian, which is by being used by 60 or so of our members states as well as non-member states so we're helping them manage this debt which they have and of course they have accumulated more debt in the last 16 months or so because there was hardly any growth rather negative growth and as you rightly uh, indicated many of these small states um, are very very dependent upon tourism and uh, basic sectors such as fishing Look at Maldives, 90% of its GDP comes from these two sectors. So for us, it has been a long-term strategy to help our member states through technology, innovation, and digitalization. That work had started when uh, heads of government 
decided in Malta in 2005 that we are going to bridge the digital divide. And one landmark heads of government meeting was 2018 uh, heads of government meeting in London, where again, cyber space, uh, technology, innovation, digitalization was considered as the route of the fastest route uh, to become prosperous, to build back better. Everybody's talking about building back better. Now we were talking about it, you know, three years ago that, you know, um, when it comes to climate change, when it comes to all those issues, perhaps these are the areas on which we should be focusing on. So our work continues to help our member states. We are um, helping them get some access to climate finance because climate finance, as you know, is very scattered, different mechanisms in the world have very complicated uh, ways of accessing or unlocking that finance, which is there. So for our least developed countries, for our smaller member states, we'll help them fill up those forms, negotiate on their behalf. In the last three years, we got them $40 million uh, and also there's $514 million, which are in the pipeline through the proposals which we have made to the international system. So that's one way of doing it. Uh, we are helping them get disaster risk finance. That's another uh, area in which we are working. We are helping them issue green bonds and now blue bonds also uh, to Seychelles. Uh, now Barbados, they want to diversify their economy. Uh, from these two sectors and they want to go into renewable energy. So a lot of our work with that particular country is in that area. So there are different ways in which we are helping our member states. So I, you, you spoke at the beginning of this um, about you know, the, the great sort of personal relationships that exist between member states um, and this family. How, how much, if at all, has that been affected by having to do everything on Teams and, and Zoom? Well, this is a very interesting question. Thanks for asking. Uh, well, I would have loved to sit with you and talk about these things. Human-to-human you know, um, -human interaction is very important. Personal interaction when you sit together is very important. And that is part of our DNA as the Commonwealth system. I talked about the organic way in which we work. I talked about a family. I don't want to talk to my family all the time and look at them only on screens. So that's what we are missing so much. And that what has been missed in the last uh, 16 months or so. I tell you something very interesting that we normally used to hold from eight to 10 high level meetings in a year. But in the last year, we did 40, four zero high-level meetings. And I think it was that thing that you, know, you want to see each other, you want to feel each other, and you want to connect more and talk to each other. Now, in our systems, um, our heads of government, when they meet, it's not only like other international organizations where they will come and read statements which have been written by their officials. One full day, they sit like a family in one room with no agenda and they can talk to each other. They can talk about anything. And that's where the personal relationships are built, are made, where negotiations happen and where decisions are made. Not only in the three executive sessions in one day, 
but that is something you know which is very close to our hearts and that's something which is being missed and the second important part of course is not only the state to state relationships between heads of government parliamentarians mayors doctors engineers you know finance specialists so these are the networks which penetrate beyond boundaries and connect people from heart to heart and that is something which is being missed we were supposed to have our heads of government meeting in rwanda that did not take place we had a leaders meeting but heads insisted that they would like to have a meeting in person in rwanda so we had to postpone it twice and we are very much hoping that a day will come soon when heads of government will be able to uh, able to hug each other talk to each other and sit together and make decisions i think we all echo that sentiment um so finally i just wanted to ask you you know what what change do you feel has happened you know within your own working style or your own leadership style as a result of the of the pandemic well um i think all of us now we are getting used to uh, these uh, digital platforms which everybody is talking about new normal and uh, <laughs> i hope it will not be a new normal <laughs> and this will be part of the new normal and we continue to meet and by the way we are very lucky to be in this country and that we are opening our offices sometime pretty soon and the uk is opening up next week uh, so marlborough house will be open uh, we had some meetings in the recent past but we have not officially opened yet uh, and they were not full meetings just like pilot testing um but perhaps uh, our future will be more like hybrid where there'll be technology there'll be innovation but also the human element which will be there we have started valuing humans more perhaps uh, than before i have been in my study for almost 16 months now running my office from here but i would love to uh, meet with my teams my colleagues my peers you know my contemporaries and and my board of governors all the high commissioners in london uh, and i miss all those teas and coffees and lunches and dinners and receptions where we used to chat um so one thing you know from the leadership perspective is um valuing your relationships more than before collaboration has enhanced and there are different ways of collaboration inclusion to my understanding has enhanced because so many barriers which were there people think look you know i don't have to go to marlborough house and i can participate some of the training and capacity building programs which we used to run um now many people can participate in that and i'll tell you i run a diplomats induction program every year for high commissioners in london uh, for senior diplomats uh, at the capitals every year we will have 20 to 25 people in the last two years we had 200 250 so many people from the pacific from the caribbean very early in the morning they will wake up or late at night they thought it's very easy just switch on your computer log on to the platform and you can come and talk so there are some positives on the other side also and we would like to continue with that but having said that i think it will be more of a hybrid environment which i see in which everything uh, will continue in the near future yes i think technology gives us convening power which we never had before 
um, but maybe that will wear off. The novelty will wear off after a while. Nabil, thank you so much uh, for sparing the time to talk to us today uh, and to give us insights into your fascinating role. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Alex, for giving me the opportunity. Uh, the pleasure was all mine. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our qualifications, training and upcoming events, then go to libf.ac.uk. We also have other podcast channels that dive into topics like trade finance, financial advice, fintech and more. You can find all of them at libf.ac.uk forward slash podcasts.